How do you approach a problem that's not one your organization can solve itself or maybe not even your entire industry? On today's show, how to collaborate across organizations. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 215. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to develop your leadership skills. And if this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. So glad that you have tuned in. And if you've listened often to this show, you'll know that one of the things I'm always looking for is great thinkers, resources, tools that will help us to take practical action to lead more effectively. And a word that comes up in leadership and in organizations a lot is the word collaboration. And yet, it's not a word that many of us have really spent a lot of time thinking about or uh, really understand some of the best practices and how we can collaborate effectively. And that's why I was really pleased recently when my dear friend Sandy Morgan had introduced me to today's guest. And she is an expert in collaboration. She also is an expert of at using collaboration in order to help end the issue of human trafficking, which some of you know I'm involved in those efforts as well. But uh, whether you have an interest in, in ending human trafficking or if that's not something that's on your radar screen, today's conversation is going to be valuable to you uh, because you'll learn a little bit about the issue. And even uh, and just as importantly, you're going to learn more about how you can collaborate across organizations and maybe even across your industry to be of help in addressing some broader challenges in the world. And that's why I'm thrilled today to be able to welcome Dr. Kirsten Foote. She is a professor of communication at the University of Washington. She leverages her expertise in interorganizational relations in publicly oriented, practice-informed research on what it takes to build and sustain partnerships to counter modern slavery. And her book on this topic that's recently published is called Collaborating Against Human Trafficking, Cross-Sector Challenges and Practices that have been, and it's been acclaimed by a diverse array of anti-trafficking leaders. In addition to researching and teaching on efforts to end human trafficking, Dr. Foote serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Human Trafficking and advises counter-trafficking coalitions locally and nationally. Kirsten, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. And this this word collaboration, we should probably start off by defining it because I think everyone, we all think we know what it means, but um, but I'm not sure we do know what it means. I uh, searched around quite a bit to find a, a definition of interorganizational collaboration that, that made sense with what I um, observe as a researcher and that I found actually helpful in thinking about this. And settled on a definition that, that is a few others from other professions came together to develop, and they, they define, and I use this as a set of communicative processes, a communication processes in which individuals representing multiple organizations engage together when they work interdependently to address problems outside the spheres of their organizations. So here they are as individuals, but they're acting on behalf of the organizations that employ them or that they volunteer for, and working together intentionally on problems that are uh, beyond their particular organization. So the interesting challenge here is when we're thinking about collaboration, we're doing it 
in some ways almost out of necessity because the problem is is almost I would assume by definition and correct me if I'm wrong it's almost too big for one entity or an organization to address by themselves exactly either too big or organizations have realized that to have any um, of the kind of impact they want to have it is necessary to work with others within their own sector among other businesses or across sectors with government or with nonprofits and as I think of so many of the issues that many leaders are facing in their businesses and in the country and the world broadly, a lot of problems do fall into that. Uh, it, it's not really possible for one organization to be able to to tackle it by themselves. And when I when I think about collaboration, it's kind of one. It's one of those terms, Kirsten, that I I think that. I have yet to hear anyone rally against collaboration. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. you don't ever hear anyone say like, no, we do not collaborate. So every organization is all for it. You hear people saying how much they collaborate. Um, so the intention is there. And yet um, it's been my experience that I the the actual disconnect between the perception of collaboration and the reality of doing it that there is a disconnect there. Um, have you noticed the same thing? And if so, what is the disconnect that you see in, in, uh, yeah, in collaborative work? Yeah, I have. And it's, and it's not just me. But from my own research, having done a, a prior study, guys, prior to this book, of the, um, the statements by hundreds of organizations in different sectors about human trafficking, um, I had a, a research team that surveyed the, the websites and public statements of literally over 200 organizations every year for four years to see what are they saying about human trafficking, what do they say they're doing. And although almost two-thirds of them said that they were involved in coalition building, less than a third uh, could um, state that they actually were part of uh, some kind of task force or alliance or coalition against human trafficking. So we have a a real gap there, almost, you know, 50% gap between those that that, um, claim to be involved in coalition building, and I would take that as shorthand for we try to collaborate, uh, but the success rate is about half in terms of people that organizations that have actually found their way into and helped create some kind of alliance or coalition um, against this problem. So that's from my research, and I've got all the you know, facts to share, uh, show that, an article about that. But, um, but I'm not alone in that. The U.S. State Department even um, in 2010 made the public statement when they were introducing the notion of partnership as one of the essential um, uh, components to a counter-trafficking response, they said this in writing, that while there's broad agreement on the purpose and benefits of a partnership approach to human trafficking, there's less agreement on proven successful strategies. So this is something that all should endeavor to create and share in the years ahead. And that's a direct quote from the Trafficking in Persons report from the U.S. State Department in 2010. And, and I took that as a personal mandate. I don't think uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton intended me to take that personally, but I did. And uh, <laughs> right. that's why I wrote the book I wrote. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you did because I think that lines up whether the issue is trafficking or any other broader issue that the industry or the organization is trying to collaborate on. Um, I, I, that's been my experience, too, is you you hear a lot of espoused values or espoused um uh, actions that the organization would like to take or intends to take. But when you actually dig down, and like you said, you know, only about half are, are, were inv- involved in something. And I'm, I'm guessing that the substantial contributions to those, even of the organizations and the people that were involved, probably even less from there. And so um, I guess one of the things I'm, I'm wondering is, 
Um, first of all, before we even get into some of the tactical things, is what's the reason to collaborate? Why? Why even start off? Other than some of the obvious things, like you know, you, we obviously can't address something like human trafficking as one individual or one organization. Why else is it valuable for us as ourselves and our organization to really think of things through a collaborative mindset? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad you're recognizing right off the get-go that not only is it necessary in terms of, well, this is a problem beyond us, but, um, but I think the, um, the real benefit to a multi-sector response to a problem like human trafficking and other really complicated um, difficult problems is that that each sector brings a different type of lens and a different type of of knowledge and expertise to that problem. And so when government agencies actually sit together and think with business leaders and when business leaders actually sit together and think with nonprofits and community leaders, things happen in those conversations that don't happen when business leaders just talk to each other or when government agency directors only talk to each other or and et cetera, et cetera. So there are there truly are both um, wonderful uh, forms of, of knowledge and expertise that each sector and each type of business leader has to offer, and there are blindnesses that can only be smoothed out when people, leaders from one sector, really listen to the leaders of another sector. And I'll tell you right now, it's not an efficient process. It's not a, okay, we'll get this done and we'll move on to an action plan. It, it, is, it is like democracy. It's often a messy process that requires sometimes an inordinate amount of time to really get people to speak up, especially those that have not felt heard in the past or don't feel like their, their views um, have been validated in the past. There's some repair work that needs to be done to get leaders from different sectors to actually really trust that the others want to hear them. But when that happens, there is a possibility of creative and generative um, plans that, that come out from that that actually can be highly impactful. Oh, interesting. And I'm glad you said that because... When I think of the way a lot of businesses, especially in the for-profit sector, tend to address problems is they get the people in the organization together who are going to be part of the team. They set a vision. They put the team together. Um, the schedule is drawn up, the plans, and they're moving on it, sometimes within a matter of days or weeks. And that just doesn't always happen when you're doing something collaboratively. In fact, it, it most of the time doesn't work that way. Um, and and so I, I'm wondering if if I am in a a business or an industry where there's an opportunity to collaborate, what are some of the things that me and my organization should be thinking about when I start thinking about putting on this hat of collaboration and to start reaching out to others that would help would help me in order to approach this from a standpoint of success and of, of real longevity? What I write about in the book um, are some uh, analyses and um, recommendations on leadership strategies that I think are applicable to, to leaders in any sector, but maybe especially in the private sector, because there's, there's such strength of, of resources and knowledge around leadership in the private sector, perhaps more than any other. There's a lot of really good um, attention to leadership in, in the best companies in the private sector. And often leaders in the nonprofit world or the government sector or just community leaders have not had access to some of those um, types of trainings and approaches. But within the private sector, often the values of the private sector of efficiency and productivity and maximum impact and output are, are what are you know, the, you know, driving the leadership strategy. And so in a multi-stakeholder collaboration on human trafficking or anything else, 
there have got to be other values at play and other values that, that get affirmed, such as inclusivity and a rebalancing of power between those with lots of resources and those who don't. And let's just take just, just as one example, um, what happens in the dynamic when survivors um, of human trafficking get invited into a multi-sector collaboration that involves business or government and or nonprofits and, and are invited in a, in a real way to, to contribute from their expertise, not just their story of exploitation, but their, their actual expertise on what it takes to survive and what survivorship can mean and what, what needs to be done to best help empower survivors. And you can come into this room with business leaders and people with lots of degrees and education and um, lots of training on professional ways of speaking. And, and these are people who spent a good part of their uh, early teens or middle teens or young adult years or even longer in the position of basically a slave. And here they are being asked to speak to people with lots of very um, different and, and advanced kinds of, of professional expertise. What does it mean to balance power in that kind of situation? What does it mean to include, really include and listen to the perspective of people who don't have the same background and don't have the same goals? They, they are not necessarily concerned about efficiency and productivity. They're perhaps more oriented toward um, empowering survivors and valuing creating the, the chance to, for survivors to actually have agency for the first time in their lives to, to be able to make some choices about what they do, um, even if those choices aren't um, necessarily the most uh, strategic in the, the long term. Those are some of the tensions that come up, um, just in one example of how you know, a truly multi-sector interaction around a problem like human trafficking is going to have to involve people with really different backgrounds, and that affects how they communicate when they're in the room together. So I could go on, depending on what you want oh, to hear, but there's I, I know, lots of ways that those kinds of background differences affect what happens when individuals sit around the table and try to make a plan together. Well, and that just really, um, I think, really truly gets to the the real realities of the complexities of this. And so I think one of the things like I'm thinking right away is that if me or my organization are walking into a situation where we want to help and serve, um, whether it be an issue like this or or uh, perhaps a political issue or perhaps a, a local issue in our area that we can collaborate on, is that we really need to get out of the only looking at it through the mindset of like a revenue or a dollar amount or a metric and to really be open to looking at the broader objectives of everyone who's at the table. So that might be one person or one part, part of the objective, but it but there's a lot of other things going on there too that if we can take that time as we're engaging in those relationships to stop and to listen and to really understand where all the stakeholders are coming from, that that's, that sounds like a pretty good starting point for us. That and I would say one of the wonderful um, strengths that uh, many people in the private sector could bring to bear in counter-trafficking efforts is their sense of entrepreneurial creativity. What sometimes happens is that uh, you know, somebody in the private sector sees a problem related to human trafficking and says, you know, I could just, I, I, could, I could come out, here's an idea, here's a plan for it, I can get a team together and, and, you know, and we could do that and we could take care of that part of the problem in our, in our locale. Um, and, you know, but to do that really, I should just, you know, start a nonprofit so that it's, you know, distinct from my company and, and just lend my expertise to that nonprofit and bring some other business people around it and we'll just start a new nonprofit and they'll take care of that problem. And when that happens, we not only have, you know, contributing to the problem of multiplying nonprofits, which each of which needs a, a board of directors and a, um, a financial accountability um, kind of thing and, and some kind of revenue stream that's usually from donations. So every new nonprofit 
uh, has the risk of, of draining out resources from existing nonprofits. We also have a kind of a standalone approach that is not adding strength to what is already happening. You, you know, flip the coin on that and say, well, what do nonprofit leaders bring as a real strength? Well, they are quite experienced often in working across sectors because they typically have to in ways that, that for-profit organizations don't. Nonprofit organizations often have to work across sectors, at least with government and, and sometimes with business. But they're also very good at working with community groups, and often they are the first responders and the frontline service providers for the people who are most affected by the problem, in this case with human trafficking, the victims of human trafficking who are, who are working on becoming survivors. And nonprofits are often the ones, the nonprofit leaders, who have their finger on the pulse of that, that issue and, and how to best address and include um, the survivor community in these kinds of interactions. So I had a wonderful, um, turned out to be a wonderful interaction with a business leader um, a few years ago who said, you know, my company's doing really well. And it's really important to me as a business leader to really give back to the community where I'm working. And I see this particular problem related to human trafficking, you know, one facet of it. I know I can't do everything, but I think I'm going to start a nonprofit that will address this problem. And, and I've got a team of really great creative business leaders who can do this. And we could create a nonprofit, we could do this. And, and what do you think of that, Kirsten? So you know what I think? I think there's two other nonprofits already in existence that have um, broad enough goals for the particular problem that you see as important um, to, you know, to come together there. What if you actually added strength to the existing nonprofit or two in your city that are addressing something close to that and help them develop a new program or extend the impact of their current program using all of the, the expertise that they've already garnered plus their community ties to really be able to implement your great ideas? That was a nutshell of the conversation. It went on for about an hour. But you know what? That executive came out of saying, that's right. That is what I want to do. I don't want to recreate it. I don't want to become a director of a nonprofit when I really stop and think about it. I just want to get something done. Yeah. yeah. And I think the best way to get something done is to actually go deep with some of the nonprofits already here and figure out which one of them would be the best partner for you with this initiative and find out which of these organizations already has a program into which this initiative would really be an impactful game changer. And I'm happy to say that that's what happened. And it was just delightful for me to be one of those connectors. And that's the kind of thing I'd love to see happen in every city. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad you brought this up because that's that's a lesson that I feel like Sandy's been a leader for me on over the years in her work down here, uh, Kirsten, is that the tendency for a lot of us and a lot of organizations is we we see a need or we perceive there to be a need and we decide we're going to go out and we're going to start a nonprofit or we're going to go out and we're going to address this need. And we don't take the time to really look out there and see who's already doing this, who's already got the organization established that we can support and come alongside and truly come into partnership with versus just going in ourselves. And like you said, you know, all the inefficiencies that come along with starting up another organization and taking funding away potentially from other nonprofits. Um, and it, it is interesting that I think it seems like kind of an obvious thing to do. And yet, um, I, I don't think that's the default setting for most people in most organizations. I know it wasn't for me until Sandy taught me that lesson. So another lesson for us as leaders is to really, um, is really to take the time to go out and to ask and to look. And, and I'm wondering, Kirsten, any best practices that you've discovered of leaders and organizations that have done that well, what is it that they do in order to survey the landscape or whether it's, whether it's trafficking or whether it's another issue, what do you find that's helpful in helping 
them to understand what's already there that they can come alongside or move into partnership with. Right. Well, in, in most major cities in the U.S. at this point, there are already uh, nonprofit organizations that are solely devoted to this. There are lots of other nonprofit organizations that are attending to the needs of human trafficking victims as part of what else they do. And here I'm thinking of youth services, domestic violence shelters, um, uh, other types of of uh, emergency response units in hospitals and community centers that are that really often on the front lines of, of responding to um, trafficking um, victims as as they are coming for care of various um, various types and and so you know any kind of, of quick search on um, you know human trafficking response in my you know city X is going to surface some of those. There is also a national registry called the the Freedom Collaborative that um, is a, a growing registry of organizations that have some kind of dedicated staff or program to human trafficking. That includes government agencies as well as nonprofits. So that's one place to look. But there are also an increasing number of cities that are devoting some staff time or some part of their um, staff structure, their agency structure at the city level or state level to addressing human trafficking. So, you know, I'd say a really good first stop for any um, uh, business leader would be to call your city or your state's uh, Department of, of Human Services um, uh, and ask them, you know, what's happening in our city or our state or our county um, to address the, the problem of human trafficking. And chances are really good that a city or state agency of human services is going to know who to put you in touch with. Maybe it's another state agency or city agency that actually addresses violent crime, or maybe it's um, uh, you know, some other kind of department. Every state, every city organizes it differently. But just that, most cities have a, a health and human services department, and that would be a really good starting point. Well, you've, uh, you're have you also um, hitting on something that is one of the things I try to think of whenever I'm thinking of how do I lend my expertise or time or resources to any kind of effort. And, and, one, and that word I'm thinking of is sustainability. And I think that yep. for a lot of organizations and 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 I see this a lot and I'm sure you do Kirsten too of you know going out and and doing a service day or doing something that's a, a very short term thing um or or maybe just a single interaction of going out and serving someone or something or whether it's human trafficking or something else and and those are great things to do and um and also they don't necessarily contribute to a sustainable response over time and so one of the things i'm always trying to think of is would it where can i lend my expertise where this is really a sustainable partnership that serves the issue or the stakeholders that i'm trying to serve over a broad and long period of time that's that's going to really be valuable and i'm i'm wondering of the organizations you've seen and leaders you've seen that have done that well what is it that they do on the front end as far as their thinking process and their strategy on collaboration to ensure that the work and the investment of time they put in is truly sustainable? The private sector in particular has an immensely strategic role to play in countering human trafficking. Um, and you know, we can broaden from that elsewhere. But many of the problems that render, you know, that make certain populations vulnerable to being forced into labor, the essence of human trafficking is forced labor is the, uh, the lack of access to jobs um, that create a living wage for them right in their, in their um, locale. And, and the private sector has a huge role and a huge opportunity to play in that regard. And so not just in regards to human trafficking, but many of our other kind of broad, difficult social problems, uh, you know, the, the disparities between access to living wage jobs are a huge part of that. And when businesses you know, can come to multi-sector interactions by saying, you know, what, what could we do with, with this part of what our business mission is to help create 
some opportunities for people to, you know, to get jobs that have a different track for their life than being vulnerable to exploitation and in forced labor. That's, that's a really promising starting point, and some amazing things have happened out of that. And I'm going to mention here at this moment that, that the Alliance for um, Businesses Ending Slavery and Trafficking, the best alliance, is, is all about helping business leaders think together about what their particular company, what their industry, and what the private sector in general can do at you know, small companies, medium-sized companies, and some large companies. But even, even a small you know, company with less than, than 10 staff, what could our business do to be part of the this, this solution to countering human trafficking? And this alliance is, is all about that kind of generative conversation among business leaders. So I'd highly encourage people to be um, listeners here to be um, looking at that, uh, that uh, nonprofit alliance that is there for you as business leaders and uh, continuing to think more deeply among yourselves about the various ways that your particular um, company and, and industry area could be part of, of solutions. I'm glad you mentioned the resources uh, for, for organizations that are, uh, that and, and for leaders who feel really strongly about this. And I know we have people in our listening community who are already very well aware of the challenges and the realities of human trafficking. And I know we also have uh, folks in our listening community who are not yet aware of that. And so I think, um, you know, taking some time to just raise your awareness and to educate yourself around this issue. Um, and if it's not this issue, this issue, there's certainly an issue that your organization can influence, um, regardless of the size. And uh, one of the things Kirsten and I talked about on the front end of our conversation before we started recording today is, you know, many people in the Coaching for Leaders community are senior leaders in, in their organizations, and in many cases, um, have a great influence, uh, if not, uh, if not uh, substantial influence in the direction their organization takes and how they reach out and collaborate with other organizations on issues like this. And so uh, I'm really excited of, of introducing this as a resource. And Kirsten, for those who are just are just learning about this issue for the first time. What are some good ways for folks to learn more either on your website or through the book? Go to the website for the book, which is collaborating-against-trafficking.info. Uh, you'll find there that I've actually posted the first chapter of the book for free with permission from my publisher. And, and the first couple pages of the book actually give a, a pretty succinct definition of trafficking and the ways that it shows up in a variety of types of industries here in the U.S. Because this book, I should mention, is based on research right here in the U.S., about U.S. cities, U.S. Um, regions that are um, responding to human trafficking right here in our neighborhoods in, in particular ways. So from there, the book then, you know, that first chapter explains what, you know, what the basic kind of, of issues are and what makes collaboration challenging. And I hope that it's sufficiently persuasive to people that say, yeah, I want to read the rest of the book. But whether or not you do, elsewhere on that website, you'll find a section of resources that are um, there to be of use to people in every sector. There are four or five different types of resources I've posted there, and several of them have to do with um, resources made available by other leaders in the collective impact field, that um, kind of realm of, of people that are thinking about how do we get people from business and from government, from nonprofits, from communities to get together and work on the problems that are most challenging in their communities. And they've made a lot of resources available freely on the web, and I've just you know, curated a little directory of them. Here's some great links. Here's some case studies. Here's some examples of how leaders from different sectors come together around a problem. There's not yet been a good collective impact study done on human trafficking. Um, I think mine might be one of the first here um, in the book-length form, but you'll not find a case study on trafficking per se there, but you'll find a number of others. And actually, later next month, I'll be speaking with some of those collective impact leaders about 
um, bringing the collective impact paradigm to bear, even more specifically um, to the problem of human trafficking. So we'll see what develops after that. Well, this is a great page, and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. There's exercises, collaboration tools. There's a great um, list of books on collaboration. So if, you're, if you or your organization are already starting or maybe you're thinking about how you might engage in collaborative efforts, and, and maybe it involves other businesses, or maybe it involves government and nonprofit leaders, uh, this is certainly a starting point for you is to start to think about what are some ways you can approach that effectively and how you can position that uh, effectively, and, and particularly if you are um, if you are interested in how you can uh, raise awareness on the human trafficking issue and and work to end it, as uh, both Kirsten and I are, are working on. Uh, I know that that's something that will certainly be appreciated and useful uh, in the global community of those of us who who care about this strongly. And and, and just raising your awareness. I, I in fact, Kirsten is funny. I was I was just shopping this morning and. Um, buying produce, and you know, I I know because of some of the, the education I've gotten from Sandy, you know, just what are some of the different countries that are having issues with trafficking, and where certain fruits come from, and I make different choices just at the grocery store um, that that I know influences the economics a little bit. But if a lot of us make those choices, it helps us all to combat this issue. So I really uh, I really appreciate all the resources you've provided here. And uh, I hope folks uh, will check out the book too. And and we should also mention that you've, you're actually donating all the proceeds uh, from the book to the efforts um, in in trafficking. And so uh, it's just a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great way for us to support your work uh, to learn more about how to do this well and also to support uh, the efforts against trafficking too. Yeah, well, thank you. May I also put in a plug for our U.S. Department of Labor. They have done a fantastic job um, over the last few years issuing several reports on, on manufactured goods and, and raw material resources that are known to be produced with child labor or, or forced labor from various countries of the world. And those reports are, are, you can read them online in a hypertext way that allows you to search by, by good or material or by country of origin. doesn't mean that all of the, that particular um, good, let's say cotton um, from, let's say, Uruguay, is, is all made with forced labor, but it does, the report gives you some, some pointers to consider if you're a small or medium or large business owner, you know, where am I sourcing this from? And what questions should I be asking about where I'm getting my materials from in order to do what I can do as a business leader to monitor my own supply chains? Those Department of Labor reports are, are just fantastic. So happy to provide some links to those as well if that's useful. Yeah, that'd be great. And, uh, and unlike a lot of government reports, they're, they're very readable. And, um, and actually, that's yeah. why I put the blueberries back on the shelf this morning, Kirsten, is because I, I know they're on that list um, for that country. And so... It's this is one way that regardless of your organization and your efforts, um, just having some awareness and asking some of the questions about who's supplying you with your raw materials, who you who you um, what's your supply chain look like. You may not have direct control over all of that, but just by asking a few questions, you'll be amazed at how you can make a few different choices that really do make some some um, some broad efforts on on helping this issue, and so uh, so I really appreciate your your perspective on this, Kirsten, and raising our awareness and helping us to make better choices, and also more broadly looking at how we can be collaborative in a really effective and sustainable way to better the world and also our own organizations too. Terrific! I'm glad I could talk with you about these things. Obviously, there's something I'm very passionate about, and I'm absolutely inspired by many of the business leaders that I've gotten to talk with over 
the last few years as I've been researching this book. I write about several of them in the book and um, and I've met many others whose names I couldn't use, but I am just delighted with the, the steps toward greater social responsibility, um, particularly in regards to forced labor um, that I see many companies trying to make. And again, say the Businesses Ending Slavery and Trafficking Alliance is, is oh, well, waiting with welcoming arms for any business leader that wants to be part of a, of a larger dialogue around that. Kirsten Foote is the author of Collaborating Against Human Trafficking, Cross-Sector Challenges and Practices. Kirsten, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. At least three additional thoughts after this conversation. First and foremost, I think it bears repeating, even though it came up in the conversation uh, in Kirsten's experience and also my experience as well, having served as a board member on a nonprofit. I know it is a frustration point for many leaders and nonprofits that often very well-meaning folks from the private sector or just on their own decide to contribute in some way to addressing a problem and, and, and to do so from a very good place of wanting to help and don't really take the time or do the due diligence to find out what is already being done out there in that space to help. And in fact, in many, if not most cases, it would be a lot more helpful for business leaders, for other individuals who are really passionate about wanting to help, and taking a few minutes or a few days or whatever the situation is to go out and do some research and find out what's already in your industry, local area, organization that will support many of those things. And uh, as Kirsten gave a great example during the conversation, when, when, when that really happens and when you take the time in advance to study what's out there, a lot of times you can find a much better opportunity to collaborate and make a real impact in the world, and it ends up being a better fit for everyone. And so I'd really encourage you to do that if you or your organization have been thinking about how can we reach out or influence a local issue or or maybe an international issue like this one. That is a key, key step in doing that because a lot of us tend to err on the side of we've already decided how we're going to help, and then we're going to go out and do it. And really, what should happen first is like any good leader would do, is to first look at what's around spend the time to listen and ask questions and be curious. And then based on what you find, then come back to your team, your organization, and to figure out, okay, now how can we contribute? And maybe sometimes that does mean a new organization starts, but more often that's probably going to result in finding some new relationships and organizations to collaborate with. And it is not always easy and it's often messy. And yet taking the time to do that can really make an impactful uh, action uh, that you make on the world. And so speaking of that, uh, Kirsten has provided us, the second point is with tons of these links and resources. So I've linked to her website and uh, and also the Best Alliance, which she mentioned, and also several other the links that we talked about from the Department of Labor. So uh, if that uh, got you interested in how you might be just more knowledgeable about this, I hope that you'll take a few minutes to grab those. They're at the website, coachingforleaders.com slash 215. And then uh, finally, for those who are interested in learning more about human trafficking, uh, I'd recommend Kirsten's book, of course, and the first chapter, which she mentions on the website. And also my friend Sandy Morgan and I have been uh, in the last, over the last five years, actually predates this show, have been hosting and producing a podcast called Ending Human Trafficking. And I think I've mentioned it on the show once or twice in the past. 
And it's one of the ways I've been helpful to her and the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University, which is what Sandy heads up in getting the message out that that center does on educating people and helping them study the issues around human trafficking. So if it's piqued your interest and you'd like to learn more, just search for Ending Human Trafficking on iTunes or on whatever podcast app you listen to, and that will track it down. There's a lot of great resources there in the archives that will get you up to speed on the issue and some really practical things you can do. As always, I welcome your comments or questions, again, at coachingforleaders.com slash 215 for this show specifically. And as always, welcome your comments, questions, or feedback for the future Q&A shows uh, first Monday of the month. The next one is coming up next week for episode 216. If you have a question you'd like to submit for the show, anything under the category of leadership, go ahead and go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And finally, if you haven't already, please join my weekly leadership guide. It's delivered to your inbox each Wednesday and includes my thoughts and recommendations on some of the best articles, podcast episodes, videos, books that I found that I think will help support your development between the shows. And it also includes an overview and link to each episode show notes from this show. And so if you listen on the go like I do, it will give you a good way to follow up on some of the things that we've mentioned today. And as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get access to my reader's guide that lists 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and brief summaries for me on the value of each one of those books. It is a great way to contribute to your professional development. If you took one book on that list and read it this year, I bet it will inform a lot of the decisions you make as a leader and help you to be more effective in getting the most from others and from yourself. You can download that 11-page reader's guide and nine-minute video at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I look forward to talking with you next week and Bonnie does as well for our monthly Q&A show. Have a great week and talk to you then.